It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and I have a phenomenal author with me today by the name of John Adago, uh, who wrote an incredible book um, uh, called uh, East Meets West, uh, and it's a fascinating uh, book about uh, Eastern philosophy as a uh, juxtaposition against uh, Western culture. How are you, my friend? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. What... Um, what caused you to do a book of this ill? Well, I, was, uh, I began studying Eastern philosophy quite a few years ago. And I began mm-hmm. by studying the writings of Gurdjieff and Ospensky. And uh, after one begins to read those, those men and their philosophies, one comes to the conclusion that it would be useful to find people of like mind. Mm-hmm. So I began to seek groups uh, of people that were studying those ideas, uh, and I encountered several of those groups, and 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 later on uh, uh, another group that was totally independent of them. And what I discovered was that several independent, apparently independent groups, uh, shared the same co- body of knowledge, mm-hmm. and that began uh, on my part a search for their founders, um, and the teachers in the East that inspired them. Mm-hmm. So you started this in the 60s or the 70s? Yes, uh, late 60s, early 70s. Late 60s, early 70s. Um, really, really cutting edge uh, thinking uh, in the 60s. I mean, um, it was brand, brand spanking new, and uh, in some uh, ways to the Western culture, which can be considered taboo. Well, it certainly was uh, an input from the East that had not been received before. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were times from time to time when the teachers came over, some of them came over, but their seeds never really fell on fertile soil. In the 60s, they found fertile soil. The ideas began to take root in the minds and hearts of people in the West, uh, primarily because they were really teachers, men who devoted their lives to acquiring this knowledge of these Eastern traditions and then passing it on to others. 
Uh, and as a result, that had a, you know, what Dante and Indian philosophy had a profound effect on, on the West. Uh, in 1960, meditation was unknown. Today, meditation, mantra, yoga, these are household words. Well, now you are students uh, of what's known as the work. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Um, explain to us what that is and how you found it. And um, uh, you obviously now travel the world teaching it. Uh, the, the, the teachers that I write about in East meets West uh, didn't just write philosophy or a theoretical exposition. Um, what they brought to the West was a method that they taught to people who were interested in engaging in it uh, in which they would walk a road toward inner transformation. Mm -hmm. um, from limitation toward liberation, where the uh, power of attention is refined, uh, where the um, awareness expands to where the sense of self becomes more than something that just inhabits this body, but rather from the principle that myself and yourself and the self or consciousness of all are in fact one and the same. Uh, when I encountered the writings, particularly of Gurdjieff and Espensky, uh, they began to describe the state that we walk around in every day. Mm -hmm. State of consciousness that, I mean, well, you know, we function okay, we manage to find our way to work and to home, but along the way we might, you know, misplace our keys or our wallet or make a wrong turn or find ourselves acting inappropriately to the conditions all around us. Mm. And And the sense was that there is there's something amiss that this is that a finer uh, level of being and state of awareness is possible for a man. And these these men and women teachers taught a method that they called the work, and it involved observation and self-examination and meditation and study uh, and self-study, not just study of books, but uh, uh, beginning to observe oneself and and. With the, with the aim toward a refinement um, in the life. I, I like this, uh, and you went a, a step further, uh, uh, including your wife. Uh, is, is it true that you guys uh, uh, attended the School of Practical Philosophy? We did. Uh, many years uh, we've attended, and I still attend the School of Practical Philosophy. So for many years uh, the, I was involved there, and that was one of the organizations, as I said, that initially, although there seemed to be no connection between Kirchhoff and Spensky, I found the same body of knowledge there. Uh, and so I, I began to look. When did you see a shift, a major shift? Uh, because now, of course, uh, 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 the West is... is it's, it's, it's a melting pot. Uh, some, in some, some areas you can't tell the difference between the east or the west, and it looks more east here than uh, west, and over there it looks more west than east. When did it uh, begin to, to shift and uh, uh, really become part of uh, the American culture? Well, it, it was not an instantaneous process. This is something that went on over a period of uh, 30 to 40 years. Uh, I mean, when the Maharishi brought meditation in 1960 to London and then to Europe and America, uh, he, he introduced something. Uh, and it wasn't just the meditation, but 
it, that certainly was a very important tool. He also, mm-hmm. the people that took up the meditation also began to study and, and reach out to the Eastern masters to learn this ancient tradition, this knowledge in India based on the philosophy of Vedanta or of unity. So, and this has had quite an influence over over the last few decades, uh, a profound influence. It's affected the way people understand their religion. It's mm-hmm. the way people pursue their spirituality. You know, a lot of people um, complain about uh, their uh, unhappiness, their 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 uh, lack of. Uh, fulfillment, if you will, uh, and they're searching for uh, enlightenment. Can you can you speak to us about you know how can, how how this book can can help people who have you know kind of being introduced to this kind of for the first time? Of course, they've heard of you know Eastern philosophy or what have you, but they've never really delved into it. Um, but they are uh, uh, you know unhappy uh, with their lives. What would they be able to find from this book? Well, this book. Uh, tells the story of 13 teachers um, and they were remarkable men and women they were remarkable because of their dedication and devotion to seeking higher knowledge knowledge that would uplift them and then upon discovering that for themselves and, and through teachers they devoted the rest of their lives to passing it on to others and each of the chapters discusses these men's lives and the philosophies they taught. Uh, it, it, there's a quote from a, a, an Eastern teacher by the name of Shantananda Saraswati, and I can summarize it. He said, man's real nature is knowledge, truth, and happiness. No man is devoid of this, but it can be covered over. Sometimes when one is in an agitated situation, he will pick up the wrong things, although the right things are all around him. Mm. He forgets the real and gets something else for the real. This is how the eternal is replaced by the transient. It's due to ignorance and agitation. But then he goes like on that. to say, but this consciousness, this power to discriminate between the real and unreal, resides within myself. That it is, in fact, myself. That it emerges when I come to the rest and stillness and depth of my own being. And what these teachers taught and what the work is, is this method where from time to time during the day, one dives deep, so to speak. One connects with something underneath all of the motion, the movements, the thoughts and the feelings, and just comes to a connection with something deeper within themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and this effort, this, quote, work, is transformative. Because from this perspective of stillness and unity that exists within each of us, one then engages the world from a more profound perspective. I like that a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of people right now are dealing with, um, uh, you know, depression and addiction, and you alluded to that in, in the sense that, um, you know, we... Uh, cover it up, we search outside of ourselves uh, and really miss the mark. Um, how can one reach a level or begin to tap into that level of self-realization? Uh, the teacher that started me on this way 
was a man by the name of Mr. Willem Nyland, who had spent many years with Gerges. Mm. He often spoke of this theme of what it of what it takes, and he said that the work begins with a wish to be more than what I am. It it grows from a sense of dissatisfaction with the condition I find myself in, where I'm bound by habit, forgetting who and what and perhaps even where I am. He said it's not enough to live in this ordinary state. And mm. the point where he wishes to wake up that he wow. was to awaken this faculty within himself that has some a deeper perspective. Uh, and, but he says this requires effort, endeavor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. knowledge, um, the help of other people engaged in, in, common, in a common pursuit. Um, but what he says is what you're seeking is yourself. This is your birthright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. only yours if you make an effort and he spent his life the latter part of his life teaching people how and urging them to make this effort as Gurdjieff said I cannot help you he said I can only create conditions that allow you to help yourself mm, I like that I like that a lot um, is meditation the um if you will, and the only way out uh, is, 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 is more needed than, than just meditation to uh, reach self-enlightenment, to find uh, self-realization, to tap into that birthright? Meditation is a fundamental technique because there has to be times during the day and during the life where we step backstage, so to speak, where we allow the energy in our being to refresh. We need to let go of the constant turmoil that we're engaged in every day and find the unity within ourselves. And, and that's a, a fundamental um, practice that mm-hmm. is taught, and, and I believe it's an essential practice. Uh, and it's always been a practice of religions, contemplation and prayer and meditation. Have, uh, there's a form of it existing in, in virtually every religion you can think of. Mm-hmm. But then... Yes, something else more is needed. Uh, you then have to become a purpose, a, a person of substance, uh, someone that's of use to others. Uh, as one of the teachers in East Meets West said, his name was the Dr. Rolls, you know, he said if you meditate and then after meditation you go around thinking nasty thoughts about people, well, as he put it, he said, I'm told God doesn't like it. Uh, he said we must appreciate that spiritual work, spiritual endeavors are not done for personal gain. The individual will certainly have some improvement and some transformative effect, Mm -hmm. but the work is for all. Uh, And he used the analogy of a man in a church tower ringing a bell. He doesn't ring that bell for himself. Talk to me about how meditation begins to create this transformation. How many times a day does one need to um, go deep, using the word, uh, using your words earlier, uh, how often do does one need to go deep to begin uh, either seeing or I would assume feeling first and then seeing uh, changes in their lives? Well, I would say that even before you start with the meditation, one would start by simply several times during the day stopping and pausing and falling still. Mm, okay. 
spending a couple of minutes where one actually stops for a moment, looks out a window, sees the sky, comes to rest within himself, connects through the senses with the air on the face and the, the, the impressions around him of light and sound and heat and cold, just connects. And that's a good start. Mm-hmm. And, and from this practice, one begins to touch a still place. Uh, the practice of meditation that most teachers uh, that have come to the West teach requires one or two periods a day, perhaps a half an hour or 20 minutes a day, in which one actually sits. Uh, often what's suggested is early in the morning upon arising and later in the evening upon returning from the day's activities. And the one just comes to oneself. One sits down, lets it all fall away, um, and, and comes to rest in the stillness and peace of oneself. Uh, this is a transformative endeavor, uh, it, because it, it's sort of like a circuit breaker. Mm-hmm. We step away. It gives us a little detachment. And we've all had the experience of waking up in the morning fresh, and, uh, you know, and suddenly there's a solution to a problem that we went to sleep with the night before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a fresh perspective. There's a fresh knowledge that simply wasn't available when we were tired. And, and from this refreshness and feeling of well-being, I, we encounter the life from a much more optimistic perspective. Meditation does that on a more profound level. Mm-hmm. Sleep gives us rest for the physical body. Meditation gives us a period of rest from the mental and emotional realm. Gotcha. I like that. Let's go back for a moment. Uh, you, you, you started your journey in the 60s. Um, and during that time, um, the West was uh, very uh, self-destructive. I mean, you know, nuclear uh, power, uh, technology, a lot of things that could literally destroy man uh, and mankind uh, uh, was, was, you know, at its height. Um, what did you think or how do you think the Eastern uh, uh, teachers um, uh, felt about that and, and, and did they ever address it? Well, well, they did. Uh, they, they first when the when the bombs went off in 1945, um, and then the nuclear arms rates began to build up in the decades after that. Uh, reasonable men appreciated that for the first time, mankind had the technology and weaponry to actually destroy life on Earth. And it was apparent to reasonable people that the superpowers needed to step back from the abyss. It also was clear that they may not be able to do so. Mm-hmm. In the in the East, um, the spiritual some of the spiritual leaders in the East felt that it was essential at this point in time that they reach out to the West. Um, they also felt that there needed to be an exchange. That the wisdom of the East and the energy of the West need to combine and be used in harmony. Uh, some of those teachers, one of those teachers, whom I discussed in East Meets West, then um, adapted the practice of meditation. Meditation prior to 1945 was part of a set of arduous exercises. Uh, people spent years uh, uh, 
learning physical exercises like hatha yoga so that they could then sit for hours in a full lotus position. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it required initiation, and, and uh, it was just a practice that was not suitable for people engaged in the everyday affairs of the life. Mm-hmm. Uh, for ascetics, for monks, people in ashrams or hermitages. Um, this particular teacher's name was Gurudeva, and he was the Maharishi's teacher, formulated a form of the meditation that was more suitable to householders, you and I, and to people in the West as well as the East. He taught that to his disciples. One of them was Maharishi. Maharishi then brought it. He called it transcendental meditation. Mm. And people sat in a chair, and they did it for a few short periods during the day, and then they got up and engaged in their life. The aim wasn't to sit in meditation for hours or days or years. The aim was to touch the peace and stillness within yourself and then bring that harmony and beauty out into the community. Mm -hmm. So their aim was not simply to uplift individuals, but to bring a what they called sattvic or a impulse that's full of grace to mankind uh, and they did so uh, the one of the um, historians uh, during the height of the war his name was Toynabee Toynabee uh, as an historian said that it was it was imperative that this chapter that began in the West had an Eastern ending. Um, he said that the the Indian ending is the only way that that mankind can adopt a perspective, a philosophy of unity, where we have an attitude that can make us one human family again. Mm. Uh, and he said it was essential that this philosophy, this perspective, be brought to the West to prevent mankind from destroying himself. Incredible. Uh, in the book, you have um, a process known as the fourth way. Um, speak to us about that process. What is that exactly? In, in, in India, they recognize that there are essentially three types of people, those who are centered in their mind or intellect, uh, those in the heart or a more devotional quality, and mm-hmm. people of action, people who like to move about and do things. Uh, and so three paths, spiritual paths, or what they called ways evolved to address that. Uh, people who were centered in their intellect were given knowledge and practices of contemplation and study. Uh, people who were centered in the heart were uh, given prayer and more devotional and service um, type activities where they stepped through the heart and reached out to a, to a, a larger sense of self. And people of action were given certain measures and instructions and disciplines so that the action could take place in a way that didn't overwhelm everything else in their being. Um, the fourth way encompasses aspects of all three of these paths. Uh, and it is done in life, not in a, in a monastic or setting or in solitude, but it's, it's a, a method of engaging in a process of inner transformation, aspiring to the highest potential of a man or a woman, and yet without in any way giving up, in fact encouraging the role of family, profession, community, 
as, as Shantanantananda Saraswati said to his disciples in the West, he said, you need to bring the beauty and harmony of your spiritual practice out into the community, mm-hmm. out into the workplace. And this was for the benefit of the individuals because it transformed their activities and it was for the benefit of those around them because the impulse of the masters was passing through these disciples or those actively engaged quote in the work to a larger circle you um, mentioned earlier about transcendental meditation and um, kind of a hybrid of um, uh, rather than you know uh, sitting in the lotus position for hours on end uh, having something that is 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 more transient that that one can do in their daily lives in reference to the fourth way, um, how, uh, because there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of work, but there's a lot of inner work uh, to be done uh, in that process. Uh, how does one balance that? Uh, because you could, you could very easily end up living a very seclusive, uh, a secluded life uh, and kind of uh, remove yourself from uh, society and the world. How do you balance the two? Well, that, that's what these teachers um, specifically taught. Uh, the way uh, there's a Russian philosopher named Spensky, and what he said, there are three lines of work. There's work on oneself, and that involves meditation, study, and contemplation. And then there's work with others, work on this oneself in others, for others, with others. And then at a certain point, one engages in work for the sake of the tradition, or sake of actually dispensing knowledge. Um, he said that in order for a man to reach his highest potential, he needed to engage in these three lines of work. He encouraged people to live, they all encouraged people to live full lives. That, that is the meaning of the fourth way. Mm-hmm. This is the way of the monk. And, and the priest. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean the priest who heads a congregation, but I mean the priest in the sense of Thomas Merton, who engaged in years of contemplation and prayer and inner devotion. Uh, and, and there is a place for that work, that spiritual activity. But today there is a tremendous need for a harmonizing influence. Mm. He passed out among the masses. It's very apparent that without the influence, the spiritual influences of the work and religion and the master teachers of mankind, but for that influence, humanity is in danger of devouring itself in its own barbarism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Uh, to, to make a point also, um, you know, one would look at this book, uh, they would look at your uh, 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 philosophy. They would look at uh, your teaching and 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 uh, embracing the work, and they would say, "Oh my gosh, I you know, John is is you know he's a guru. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can ever do this." 
uh, when in fact you, uh, you you started out, if not still, uh, as a real estate developer. You're a regular guy, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, very much so. I was a builder and a real estate developer. <laughs> I married. I had three children. Um, I, it, it, it wasn't like I was a teacher and people paid me for knowledge. There was there was never any economic activity involved in this. And then, So this is something everyone really can truly do, no matter where they're at and who they are um, in the world. That's the point. The point is you start where you are. Fantastic. You mentioned you mentioned that uh, quite quite often uh, uh, in the book that these teachers. You use the word remarkable. Um, talk to me about that uh, because remarkable is a big word. Why uh, or what made them so remarkable? I tell each of their stories, and uh, they first of all their will to persevere. Um, seemed to me to be indomitable. Uh, they, um, in the early days, these people were engaged in this activity through the Russian Revolution and World War One and the Depression and World War Two. Nothing stopped them. Mm-hmm. The first seekers uh, went traveled to the east. I mean, today, if we, you know, we want to learn about. Indian philosophy, we go to a bookstore. Uh, 75 years ago, you had to climb a mountain. And mm, desert. Mm, well said. And, and they did. Um, they, they put everything aside and, and, and went where they had to go and uh, overcame tremendous obstacles uh, to find sources of knowledge. Then when mm. they came back to the West, they devoted the remainder of their lives to passing on that wisdom to others. That became the aim and purpose of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the stories I tell in East Meets West of these people, I, if you read them, you can't help but bring to mind the word remarkable because they were uh, so devoted to the truth uh, and so um, unstoppable in their pursuit of their aim to... Mm-hmm pass this Eastern knowledge to the West. Fantastic. Um, how can people get in contact with you? You have a website, I think, called The Journey Back. Yes, the TheJourneyBack.net. TheJourneyBack.net is my website, uh, and they can, I can be reached through that. The, and the book, East Meets West, is available through, through your bookstore or through Amazon, both in paperback and in electronic e-books. Um, and so that's how you can reach me. Fantastic. What, what will people find on, on, on uh, the journey back? Uh, well, the journey back dot net. I have some stories uh, and some quotes of uh, uh, of the master teachers, uh, and uh, uh, one of an interview like this that one can click on for a link. Uh, and and it's a, a it's an interactive uh, online. Uh, call it a blog or a magazine, people can write in with questions and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. share and Wonderful. make contributions as well. Uh, so it's, it's just a way of me letting people know where I am in case there's something, you know, need to contact me. Okay.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.